0: So, I don't have any Hebrew or Greek or incredibly detailed and precise ways of extracting pieces of scripture for you today, but I do believe I have this. I have an encouragement from God to help us focus on fulfilling our potential. Does that sound okay? Very good. So, this is what I'm going to talk about. What are you wearing? Now, I I was literally going to come in a full suit today because I absolutely love wearing suits, but Nicole, forever sensible, said it's hot. over the top and it's actually not the point of what you're talking about so I didn't. But I absolutely love wearing suits. I especially love wearing ties. I often try and make my tie colour match my socks. I just, I find a, a piece and a motivation in when I dress like that, it's the only way I can work. I do not do casual dress down Fridays. Um, I said to a member of staff that I hired this week that I don't believe in them, and I realized that was probably a little strong. So I said, you are more than free to dress however you like on a Friday. So with this in mind, last year I got a a new job, one that caused me to travel. Um, My good friends tease me about that a lot. Um, and we sat in our lounge on a beautiful, sunny Sunday afternoon, and my wife, who is not to blame for this, but, well, let's see how it goes. The, <laughs> she, she said to me, you know what, you're flying on a Sunday, you're meeting your new team, how about you check a bag in? So I think you can probably see where this is going. So I thought, you know what, yeah, I'm going to travel in comfy clothes. Bright orange trainers, white tennis socks, stripy shorts, and a jumper. What could possibly go wrong? Flash forwards to 2am. I am in the sink of my hotel room after being horrendously delayed, washing my pants in the sink, because my bag, instead of making it to Barcelona from Luton Airport, has decided to make its way to Africa. (laughs) Nicole is not to blame. So I wake up, none of the shops are open in Spain before like 10am so I can't go and buy anything so I've accepted my my fate. I'm going to have to meet an entire new team who have never met me before dressed as a tourist. (laughs) Miguel, our company taxi driver, drives straight past me 100 feet down the road claiming I was one of those said tourists. I mean Miguel had known me for about three years at this point and from sight knew exactly who I was. One of the IT managers thought we'd hired like a really relaxed intern. (laughs) And there was something and I couldn't have planned a worse way of me starting a new job with a new role, with a new team who knew nothing about me. So I walked into this room and I just thought, Lord, you're gonna have to do something here. They did not care. (laughs) They found someone who probably didn't take themselves too seriously. And I think it actually got us off on a really good stand. And I think God probably taught me something that day about appearances. So you could argue that this has been a year in the development about what I wanted to talk about today. The, I often battle with what others think about me and how others see me far more than I should about my boss, my wife, my friends, people on the street. And I should probably focus a lot more about what God thinks of me. And I think that's really what I want to get into today. It's where does our validation come from? Whose voice are we listening to when there's so many lies being told to us every single day about what we are, who we are, what we should look like? Are, Are we consumed with the natural circumstances that sit around us, our natural clothes? Or are we focused on the spiritual clothes that we've been so readily given wonderful access to. The, I didn't know about this. I could, I I knew the concept, but I didn't know it had a name, and there is something called wardrobe fatigue. It's that feeling where you pull back your wardrobe or open your wardrobe, and you see nothing in there that you would like to wear. (laughs) And this this is serious, apparently. And there's, there's, I, I, I've got a quote from, what, what I, I've no idea who he is, but he seems to be some sort of expert on, the, um, on this phenomenon. <laughs> um, and he says this, Getting ready can be brought to a grinding halt when you realise that everything in your wardrobe looks tatty and old. Your clothes are an expression of yourself. The way you dress is usually linked to the way you feel, and there is nothing worse than your worn clothes contradicting the confident persona that you want to show to the world, says Shakil Ahmad, brand manager of Personal Touch. No idea. (laughs) The way your clothes looks tend to change over time. The colors fade, the shape changes, and the size might feel a little bit snugger than before. And this has nothing to do with the chocolate you ate at lunch. Well, I would like to thank Shackle for his input into this preach this morning. That was obviously very helpful. But this is exactly what I want to talk about today. So much of how the world views us is how what we're wearing, what has in front of us. So much of how we view ourselves is about the natural circumstances around us, what our natural abilities get us into, and I would really like to spend some time talking about, firstly, what the Bible says, the spiritual clothes rack that we have access to, and secondly, taking a whistle-stop fashion tour around the story of Joseph. And you would be amazed at the amount of clothes in that story. It's not just the technical dream coat. <laughs> so firstly, what does the Bible say to us? It talks about the armor of God which is awesome. So we're going to turn there. It's Ephesians 6, if you could turn with me. Ephesians 6, 10, and I'm going to read through to about 17. And it says this, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength, Put on the armour of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, it is not against natural circumstances, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armour of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, here we go, with a truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armour on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take the shield of faith, and with it you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. Awesome. Awesome. That is so good and accessible to us. And the price, and I'll say only, which is poor in this, the only price is our salvation to give us access to that armour. Not to, not to be light about that passage, but if we just flick through, I think it will literally be four or five pages in your Bible to Colossians 3. Paul describes, in quite an incredible way, what we, what we have the ability to put on. Now, I want to make one clear distinction for those of you, which I'm sure is all of you who know your Bible incredibly well. Just before the passage I'm about to read, he talks about putting on our new self. But I think the way he talks about that is relatively permanent. There isn't a choice in that particular putting on. It says you have put on your new self. There is a clear distinction between how we stand today as sanctified members of the body of Christ to the old that, that Paul talks about. And I'm not going to focus on the negative, but I want to talk about the things that Paul says we can put on. Yeah. And there's a difference between this continuous putting on and that quite clear extraction from the kingdom of darkness. Yeah. So, starting from Colossians 3, verse 12, it says this Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of the Messiah to which you were also called in one body control your hearts. Be thankful, let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Awesome. Two amazing passages about an incredible rack of clothes that we have access to. And I just want to talk about three points about these things. Firstly, as I mentioned, we have a choice to put them on every single day. And some days it will feel like a choice. Because there's some days you don't want to get up and put on humility. There's some days you don't want to get up and put on gentleness and patience and kindness. And most of all, love. There's days when we don't feel like that. But let me tell you, when you have access to clothes like this, They are clean. They're fresh. They're never out of fashion. They don't need to be ironed. You can take them off the rack every single day. You have access to the most incredibly expensive clothes rack for free. Not for free, but you know what I mean. If we are wearing the full set of armor and these wonderful full set of attributes Paul talks about in the Colossians passage, there is no way that we don't have the ability to change the world. They are quite simply incredible. Any natural weakness you believe you have is cancelled out by everything God can give to you and there is no qualification there is no qualification to these things salvation is the only again only qualification and let me say this now because I was going to say at some point if you don't know Jesus as your Christ and Lord and you want access to this wonderful rack you can get to know him today the only thing is that you believe in your heart and you speak from your mouth that he is Lord Well, I even wrote in my notes, take a drink. <laughs> Very good. So as I said, um, Joseph's story for me is absolutely incredible. He is one of the people in the Bible that I just think, I think you're my favorite. I think I want to be like you the most. And between him and Daniel, it's quite close. Um, I really, really love them. And one of the reasons I love both Joseph and Daniel is they are in this world, but never of this world. And they're incredibly consistent in that. Just as a bit of a spoiler alert, the Joseph, I believe his purpose was, was twofold. It was to save the known world from famine. Yes. And secondly, it was to provide the foundations for Israel. Yes. Yeah. These were the two things that he did. So we're not talking about a person's life that was not important. This is absolutely key. And if we think about what is on the line in this story, I think it sheds it in a light that's, that's very different to what we'd see if we read it without understanding the magnitude of what was happening. So we join Joseph, 17-year-old Joseph, tending the fields with his brothers. And um, the first, almost the first thing the Bible says about Joseph is that he basically told tales about his older brothers so before we even start, Joseph's older brothers, of which he has 11, do not really like him at this point. So then we'll read a bit of scripture. You don't need to turn there, but it's in Genesis. And it says this, now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age. And he made him a robe of many colours. When his brothers saw that, their father loved Joseph. Him more than all his brothers. They hated him and could not bring themselves to speak pleasably to him. I mean, this has not started well, really. Now, the coat that he was given was a gift from his earthly father. It was a, a, an amazing gift. It would have shone out. But the start of this story is actually about two gifts from two fathers. And his heavenly father brings him two dreams that... I mean, looking at this story, his brothers already don't like him, and God thought, what can we add to this situation? Let's add something that speaks to Joseph's purpose, which is incredibly large, and I think that's one of the reasons Joseph was aware of that, and that's why he had to share it. I can't imagine he wanted to. <laughs> Maybe he did. The, and then it said, then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. There we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves gathered round, and bowed to my sheaf. Are you really going to reign over us, his brothers asked him. Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more. I mean, there's no punches pulled here. They really did not like him at this point. Then he had another dream. Look. I had another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And at this point, he's involved his father and his mother, and it's just it's, it's getting to a point where people are thinking, whoa, Joseph. And, his fa- <laughs> and it says this, he told his father and brothers, but his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this that you've had? Are your mother and brothers and I going to come to bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, what we know is they did come to bow to him at the end this was dreams of purpose they were (laughs) dreams from God that were given to Joseph about what he was supposed to be doing the path he was on and I believe Joseph was aware of that at the time which is why he shared them in the manner that he did I just want to say this at this point if you've got amazing brothers or sisters I have three they're absolutely incredible my brother's here today and they are incredibly talented encourage them (laughs) do not do what joseph's brothers did to them it's really important because jealousy can set in so incredibly fast so at this point jacob is there and he goes you know what i think you need i think you need to go and join your brothers and help them tend the flocks so he picks up his robe and actually had a nice little rucksack and he walked across the desert or wherever, and he must have stood out a mile away. He had this amazing robe on, and his brothers must have just seen him coming and thought, you know what, we, really, we hated him when he told tales about us. We hated his coat. We hated his dreams. And you know what, we're going to do something about it. You all know this story. Now, if it wasn't for his brother Reuben, they probably would have tried to kill him. And his brother Judah decided that, actually, let's try and extract some real value out of this situation. Let's get some money for him. So they, they tore him of his robe, and we find Joseph in outfit number two, at the bottom of a pit, probably bloody and bruised, and thinking, Lord, you gave me amazing gifts of these dreams. I feel we have a great purpose together, and you're now I'm here. What has actually happened? And then to make things worse, they sell him on to the Midianite traders, and he's just bobbling along. And you can imagine that at this point, there's WhatsApp messages to the life group. Like... <laughs> Please pray, because I am in a terrible situation. Now, I know I make light of that, but don't ever stop asking your life group to pray. It's really important. (laughs) So we see him, and he's torn his clothes. He's probably bloody and bruised, and he's just praying out, Lord, you've got to save me, because I thought we were on a journey together. And it stopped before it started. And I think, I'll speak to you guys, but it accounts for everyone. The, if you have a dream from God, never let it go. Very quickly, things might try and get in the way of it. The Bible tells us that it's when and not if the word inside us will be challenged. Never let go of the dreams that God has given you, especially so early when they're so fresh and so powerful. Write them down, pray about them, believe them, keep going. So at this point, we've already seen two wonderful outfits. And luckily enough, God spends very little time in the negative aspects of Joseph's life in these passages. If you actually look verse for verse, there's a very small amount of time spent when Joseph's on his lows. So very quickly then, we find ourselves in quite a good situation. So I'm going to read from Genesis 39. You can turn there if you want to, but I'm going to read it out. Everything I'm reading today is in the Holman, unless I say so, but I don't think there's anything else. So Genesis 39.1 says this, Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favour in his master's sight and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household And placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he put him in charge of the household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Wow, what a turnaround. We've gone from a pit, a slave traders, and at this point he's saying, Lord... Please save me. We've got WhatsApp messages flying everywhere, and now we've got Joseph stood at church going, "You know what? I was in a pit. I was on a slave train, and now I'm here. And just to put it into context, a household in this case is effectively a business. There would have been probably tens of people that Joseph was managing. There would have been all sorts of there would have been kitchens, there would have been servants, there would have been cleaning. I don't know if there was a pool, maybe there was a pool. But the point is this: Joseph went from nothing to managing effectively a business, a COO of a business, let's say, in nothing, no time at all. And the only thing I can see, the the, the distinguishing factor was this. When the master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor in his master's sight. I love the lack of Joseph in this little passage. It's not... The Lord gifted Joseph and Potiphar noticed Joseph. It's Potiphar had an awareness that the Lord was blessing Joseph. That's amazing. For me, this speaks of Joseph's character. And I think we can infer something that happens now because of what we hear about Joseph later. And I think he was a super consistent guy, grateful and outspoken about where the source of his success came from. I believe that there was crops happening and Joseph would say, thank you, Lord, for that yield. And Potiphar would hear him. And Potiphar would connect the fact that Joseph's success came squarely from the Lord. And this is a really important point because I think we can very... If we start to think about our natural clothes, does wearing a shirt and tie to work make us feel like we're successful? Let's remember where our success really comes from. Obviously, we find ourselves outfit number three. I'm sure Potiphar's glad rags were quite nice. I'm sure he had a very good outfit. And at this point, you would not blame Joseph in thinking that his life was back on track. He was moving forward in God's purposes, and he was in a pretty important place. And I think for a lot of us, we can find ourselves in this position here, where life's going well. We've made ourselves to a point. It feels like we're on God's track, and actually we're saying, great, the problem is, it's when the word is tested, and it's always when. Um, and it says this, and I'm going to paraphrase uh, the Bible at this point. Always dangerous, but I think I've done it in a good way. Sexy, successful Joseph caught the eye of Potiphar's wife, and she tried to seduce him. Not once, but multiple times. And on one final and fateful moment, she has his robe in her hand, and that robe spoke to every single aspect of Joseph's natural life. It was his job, it was his food, it was his shelter, it was probably some of his self-worth, it was his master's trust. Everything that Potiphar's wife had in her hand was the entirety of Joseph's life. And at that point, he had a decision to make. Do I do something that will allow me to... Potentially keep my job, but drop my standards, or do I run? And we all know at this point that Joseph bowls. I think a lot of us have been through situations in our life where we feel like we got that decision wrong. And I think it's important that we say that we serve an incredibly graceful God an incredibly graceful God that knows and understands us so deeply that he'll give us a route to fulfill our potential. However, that certainly isn't the primary route that we want to go on to. And don't ever think, if you feel like you've made a mistake, and there's a reason we're talking about Joseph today and not David or Moses, Or I, I really thought it was important to talk about Joseph, but if you feel like you've made a mistake, it doesn't discount you from anything. You can imagine if Joseph had really started to believe his hype and he thought it was him and he thought it was wrapped up, his life was wrapped up in that natural circumstance. It could have been incredibly different. And remember what we're talking about, what's on the line here? We're talking about the foundation of Israel. We're talking about the known world, known world eating. Yeah. The stakes are relatively high. <laughs> so out of all of this, Joseph quite quickly finds himself in a low. He's back in prison. He is in the king's prison though which I think is interesting that I think even when the world tries to knock us slightly God still finds a way to get us to the right place and certainly not the wrong place and obviously we find ourselves in outfit number four some lovely prison clothes um you can just view them however you want bright orange like the Americans like swag bag style black and white stripes um But then something quite amazing happens and it says this, Genesis 39, you can keep flicking through the story with me if you want to, Genesis 39, 21 to 23, but the Lord was with Joseph, it's awesome, and extended kindness to him. He granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden put all of the prisoners who were in prison under Joseph's authority and he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority, because the Lord was with him, and the Lord made everything he did successful. Now, just before we move on from that, I'll look back at that passage. Joseph was a prisoner, and all the other prisoners were being looked after by Joseph. If that happened today, there would be carnage. Prison Break would be a very different show if Michael, whatever his name, was in charge of the other prisoners. This is unbelievable. For me, this speaks of, of a miracle more than a lot of other things, because... This just doesn't happen. And then it's, but why? And it says this very, very clearly, because the Lord. Yes. Yes. Because the Lord. And it doesn't say um, the warden did not bother with anything on Joseph because he was so skilled. Yeah. It didn't say that. It didn't say because he worked hard. It didn't say because he was a great guy. He didn't say because he deserved it. It didn't say because he'd taken five losses or five bad things so he deserved a win. It said because the Lord. There is no more. There's nothing else to it. It said the Lord was with him and because the Lord. And again, I love the lack of Joseph in the passage because it speaks to nothing of the success being down to to him personally. Again, we must we must remember where our successes are given are given from. James 1.17 says it, and I loved Lauren this morning, just giving her heart out and saying, all good things come from you, Lord. And that's exactly what it says in the Bible. Yeah. All good things. And that means inspiration for good ideas. That means good meetings that went well. That means, it means good decisions made. Yeah. It means good conversations. It means all good things. Yeah. And I think... One really key way of making sure we focus our success onto God is gratitude. If we are incredibly grateful about even the small things that happen, we find our keys. Thank you, Lord. We met someone by accident. Thank you, Lord. We we were stuck in a traffic jam, but it meant we avoided something else. You know what? Thank you, Lord. And even if we're stuck in the traffic jam and we didn't know we avoided something else, thank you, Lord. The gratitude changes how we view the natural circumstances around us. And very quickly, we see Joseph going from high to low, to high in Potiphar's house, but not really a low, because he's already back on a trajectory that he's feeling, okay, Lord, we're we're moving again. It's going well. So Joseph, I don't know what he would do in the morning, maybe he had, like, tasks to do, the prisoners, like, check them in, but he sees two of the prisoners, and they've got a right face on, and he goes and asks them, he said, what's happening, and these two prisoners happen to be the cupbearer and the baker, (laughs) And you'll know the story. You'll know the dreams. There is, there's two dreams. The cupbearer sees three vines. And on the third day, they squeeze the wine. And it, they collect it in the cups. The baker's dream is about... There's three baskets on his head and there's a bird eating out of the top basket. Now, the thing I love here is that Joseph, again, lack of Joseph in Joseph is brilliant. Don't interpretations belong to God. Genesis 48. Not... I know I've got a gift, or I've got access to a gift, so I'm going to pray about that and then I'm going to bring it to you from my own strength. He says from the outset, I don't even know if he knows what's going to come yet, but he said, Don't all interpretations belong to God? Yeah. The outcome of this is that the cupbearer had a good outcome and he saw his way back into Pharaoh's courts, and the baker had quite a poor outcome and did not make it anywhere. He died. Um, And at this point, you would be thinking, Joseph saying, and he sends off the cupbearer, and he says this, remember me, when you make it back to Pharaoh's side, and then two years later, nothing's happened. (laughs) It would be easy at this point for some form, root of bitterness to come in. I sent someone away. I, 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 I did, I did, I did. No, God did, and then in God's timing, we will see the fulfillment of my potential. It's a very different slant on what we see in a lot of the natural circumstances that appear around us. We then see Joseph's final outfits. It's like a nice little one-two that happened. It's almost like he's in a fashion show. Because two years later, Pharaoh does have a dream. And it's at this point we really start to get to the sharp end of this story. Pharaoh has a dream, and he's asking all sorts of people, the magicians, the other people, and they cannot give him anything that touches the sides. So at this point, the cupbearer decides to remember, (laughs) oh, I know someone that can deal with dreams. So we've had a two-year delay. He gets dragged out of his prison management job, and he gets pushed in front of some makeup servants. who start shaving him and giving him some new clothes. And at this point, you'd be right in feeling like, oh, actually, Lord, are we nearly there? Like, we're so close to the ultimate... ah." And, and two years and all of that combined, and he stands in front of the most powerful man in the entire known world, the pharaoh. And the pharaoh says to him, can you interpret my dream for me? And at this point, you might be thinking, Joseph would crumble and actually say, you know what, yes, and like, sort of cash in those good God investments he's made the whole way through. But he's incredibly consistent yet again. And he says, Genesis 41, 16, he says this to to Pharaoh, I am not able to. Taking himself out of the equation yet again, it is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And we know that Joseph brings the incredible, incredible answer to that dream for him. And Pharaoh dons purple robes on him and we see at the age of 30, which is interesting, we could spend a lot of time talking about the similarities between Joseph and Christ. We see him in his final outfit, and we see finally the external representing that internal dream that Joseph was given as that 17-year-old boy herding the flocks. And for me, this is, this is the, the real crux of what I want to say today. It is the point of this When you focus on your natural clothes and you focus on your natural circumstances, it blocks your ability to fulfill God's potential for you. There is always room for God to speak to us in subtlety, and I believe that is right at times where we allow things to wash over us during preachers. Um, but there's two clear things or three clear things I really want God wants me to say out loud. So this might be a bit on the nose, but I want to make sure that I'm giving to you what I believe God has given to me. And I think that there's some people in here that certain parts of Joseph's story, whether you realize it or not, is chiming exactly with your circumstances today. Firstly, I think there are people in a pit that are looking at where they are, They're looking at their torn clothes and they're thinking, Lord, we're on such a good start. And they cannot see anything past their natural circumstances. Let me take you back to what we said at the beginning. We've got an access to an absolutely incredible clothes rack of powerful and character-changing clothes to put on. And that is combined with a powerful Holy Spirit and an almighty God. There is no pit, no natural circumstance that can hold you back from fulfilling your potential in God. There is nothing. And almost in the same format, but on the other side of the coin, I think there's people here today that have got nice clothes on. Nice clothes on, comfortable clothes. (laughs) And... And God wanted me to say that you'd forgotten your prayers in the pit and you'd become comfortable. And, And that's a very difficult thing to say because it's the same thing. You focus on your natural over what God has given to you. It's almost exactly the same situation as the pit. You just have a slightly different emotion about it. You're focusing on what's in front of you and around you and what has adorned you rather than what God has for you. I also think there's a third, per, third person or group of people here today that are like Joseph slightly later in the story where everything's going well. You could argue he's fulfilling his potential, but his past comes back to, to haunt him effectively, and his brothers come back to him. And at that point, it takes... Well, I don't know what his feelings are, but that'll be incredibly difficult to deal with. And also, if you look at the way Joseph deals with them with such grace and such consistency... Don't let things that come back from your past affect your route to God's potential for you. Now, I want to give some space, because I really do think that's for people here today. There are people here that that is chiming with, and it's a bit uncomfortable. So this is is how I would like to finish the meeting. It's two things that I would like to do. Firstly, I'm going to read a quite incredible passage from Isaiah, Isaiah 61, and I'll read it in its entirety, and I want you to focus on the incredible adornments that that God has given to us. The second thing is, we're going to invite the musicians back just before I start Isaiah, and we're going to sing um, King of Kings' Majesty. The words of that chorus cannot stop you from thinking about laying everything you have in front of the Lord. There was a time when Potiphar's wife had all of Joseph's natural, everything in his natural life in her hand. And I think it would be good for us to whatever, whether you think that what I said earlier chimes with you, you think you're one of those people, or whether you just want to give everything back to the Lord, but just to say, Lord, look, this is everything I possibly own in the natural. This is my job. This is my house. This is my food. These are my children. This is absolutely everything that I have, and I want to lay it out in... front of your throne because I don't want anything getting in the way of me fulfilling my purpose in your, in your plans Amen. so if I can invite the musicians to come and I think it would be very good if we could just close our eyes and I will read Isaiah 61 to us all and I think just to visualize what, what is said here it's, inc- it's incredibly beautiful and incredibly powerful So, with eyes closed. The spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance to come for all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. They will be called righteous trees, planted by God to glorify him. They They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the former devastations. They will renew the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers will stand and feed your flocks, "'and foreigners will be your ploughmen and vinedressers. "'But you will be called the Lord's priests. "'They will speak of you as ministers of our God. "'You will eat the wealth of the nations, "'and you will boast in their riches "'because your shame was double, "'and they cried out, "'Disgrace is their portion. "'Therefore they will possess double in their land, "'and eternal joy will be theirs. "'For I, Yahweh, love justice. "'I hate robbery and injustice.' I will faithfully reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their posterity among the peoples. All who see them will recognize that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I greatly rejoice in the Lord, I exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness, as a groom wears a turban and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth produces its growth, and as a garden enables what is sown to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church, and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.